Hello, UE Podcast. Thank you for returning to us. My name is Allie, and I'll be your host for today. And we have Mark Chase, one of my lecturers and a UEP alum with us today. So thank you for joining us. Great to be here. Thank you. So just to dive right into it, I wanted to hear your perspective of how you landed at UEP as a student. Well, I was in a relationship. I was living in Maine, and my partner was, let's go to grad school. So I was looking at various colleges in the greater Boston area, from URI to UMass Amherst, MIT. I took some classes. You can actually enroll at MIT as what is what is called a special student, which is just you pay a lot of money and take a class there. <laughs> so I took two classes, one in transportation planning and one in dispute resolution, thinking I was going to go into dispute resolution and just being interested in transportation planning. But it flipped after I took those two classes. I really got engaged with transportation planning. So my mentor and idol at that time was Fred Salvucci, a former Secretary of Transportation who's considered the father of the big dig and the red line extension, said, you know, knowing you, I think Tufts is a better fit than MIT. They're just much more creative. There's a lot more flexibility. They're more environmentally oriented. So he really talked me into going here, I think, and then... When I got here, I really was at home. You know, it's a small program. The students are very multidisciplinary and come from a lot of different backgrounds, are really friendly. I think one thing about super friendly. One thing about (laughs) MIT that was, at least at that time, a pretty competitive and stressful program. So students there weren't particularly happy or good natured about what they were doing. Yeah. And I felt like at Tufts there was... More accepting and supportive environment. Yeah. And and the students just generally were happy with where they were. And to me, that's actually... Like, it's really important to be around happy people. Yeah. And be around grumpy people who are... Yeah, nobody needs that negative energy. That's right. Um, So it sounds like you've always been interested in transportation planning. Where did that passion originate from? Like, was that an undergrad passion that you kind of delved into or... I've always been an environmentalist. So I looked at and interviewed... um, There's a concept called informational interviewing where you go out and interview people. So I interviewed in the areas of waste management, energy, and transportation. One of my transportation informational interviews was at the Metropolitan Area Planning Council. When I came to the interview, there were three people there, and they said, hey, you know, we know you're just interviewing people to learn about the field, but we have a a woman who's going on maternity leave, and if you are interested in taking her position for the year, would really love that. And I did. And that became my hook before I even went to grad school into transportation. Yeah, so how long was in between your undergrad and graduate school? So I was a Peace Corps volunteer in West Africa. And oh, so, so awesome. <laughs> yeah, so I think it was like 32 because I tried teaching before I came to urban planning. And You're I t- teaching at what grade level? I taught at a high school. I taught at-risk teens, and it was amazing work but really high burnout. I did that for five years and felt like it wasn't sustainable emotionally yeah. for me. Yeah, definitely burnout. My dad is also a teacher, so and he's been doing that for 35 years. I don't know how he hasn't burnt out, but <laughs> yeah. he's still kicking. Yeah, no, it's great. I think they're both about changing the world, I think, you know, fundamentally. And I think there is actually a lot of teaching and changing the world in, way, in some ways at an institutional level, trying to 
get people to think more broadly, think about things in a different, more creative way, and hopefully end up with a place where people are happier and um, a more equitable world too. I feel like that's something that's evolved. That yeah, we'll talk definitely. About a later, yeah, so it sounds like you've always had um, like a knack for teaching as well. When did when was your return to UEP as a lecturer? So I was a early employee of Zipcar. My sister and a woman who worked for a time at Tufts at that time was at Harvard. She and my sister founded Zipcar. And so I was the second employee at Zipcar. And I was there for about four or five years. And after that, was involved with some other startups that involved social media and getting people to carpool and share rides in cars. Yeah, Lyft car share just came back. I saw that the other day. <laughs> That's really interesting because they were like a competitor of this company my sister started after Zipcar. Mm-hmm. And they couldn't make it work back then. And so they went from pure ride sharing to what I would call like a glorified taxi, which is what <laughs> Lyft is today. Yeah. <laughs> so we folded because we didn't think it was going to ever really take off. But after those experiences, I kept getting invited to speak at Tufts, guest lecture in classes. And at one point, somebody asked me, are you interested in teaching? Because we actually need a transportation person and have been having trouble finding somebody who can relate to the students. Um, there's a lot of transportation planners who are super geeky, data-oriented. Um. And there are definitely people at UEP who are like that. But I think in general, we're more of a socially focused program that looks at big picture over, you know, crunching a bunch of numbers and optimizing, you know, road space. And so we are into optimizing road space, but in a more, I'd say, intuitive manner, which is we know that you can fit a lot more bicycle, pedestrians, and transit riders in a road space. So let's plan for them and not so much for cars. Yeah, and what's manageable and what's acceptable by you know the community at large. That's right. So trying to push, push everything you can to get things into a more sustainable, equitable place. And so I said, yeah, I'd love to get back to teaching because I always love teaching. And um, going from at-risk teens who we're threatening to beat you up as a teacher to UEP students who are interested in transportation um, was something I was really excited about. That was back in 2009, so it's been 13 years now. Wow. And you just came off of sabbatical, correct? Um, I actually was teaching two classes. So I was teaching urban transportation planning and bicycle pedestrian planning, and I dropped the transportation planning class. So Mm -hmm. Shan, who took that class from me, was on sabbatical. Oh, okay. I never go on sabbatical. I I did take August off and relaxed, which is the first time I've ever taken a summer month off. Nice. What'd you do in your time off? Um, With COVID, I got into sailing. And so I I spent a lot of time on the water. Were you out in the harbor? I was actually up in Salem. Oh, awesome. Yeah. I was planning a trip up there, um, I think this weekend or next weekend to uh, go see the spooky Halloween. (laughs) It's amazing that it's already happening. I know. I went last year the weekend before Halloween and it was so chaotic. You couldn't even walk through the streets. I just got on the commuter rail back. <laughs> and I was like, this is too much. So apparently a lot of people are taking your cue because I was up there a week ago and there was st- a lot of people, but it wasn't totally yeah. crazy. But people are like, we should go earlier. Yeah, because the crowds and the tourism of like literally just that one week of Halloween is crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very cool. 
So getting into your professional life, I wanted to talk more about Neighborways Design and your background with transportation art. Yeah, so Neighborways Design actually came out of a Tufts class, which was, I want to say 2012, 2013, a student took a, a street in Somerville and retrofitted it to become what's called a Woonerf, which is really a place-oriented street where your kids can play and you might have a picnic in the street with your neighbors and cars are really guests when they come into the street. That There's trees in the street, there's picnic tables, there's planters, there's mm. playground equipment. So she redesigned a street and that won an APA National Design Competition Award. Amazing. It was amazing. It was like we submitted and she was first place. And so with that, there was some inspiration to look at trying to do that in Somerville. And a number of students were just really interested in this idea of converting streets from transportation-oriented to place-oriented streets. And the national leader is really Portland, Oregon, where they've had something called city repair, which is painting and art in the streets. And so with city repair, I think 20 years ago, some folks decided to paint their street and they tried to get permission from the city. And the transportation people were like, no way, streets are for cars. You cannot paint the street. They did it anyway. They just <laughs> went out and did it illegally. And the Department of Public Works called the police and said, you got to go like, you know, fix this and arrest these people or do something so that they never do this again. So the police went down and talked to the neighbors and the neighbors were, well, we met with all our neighbors. Everybody was on board. We wanted to do this. We didn't see any reason why we shouldn't do this. Generated a lot of publicity and the city council basically changed the law to make it really easy to paint streets in Portland. Since then, they've probably painted 200 or 300 street murals. We were inspired by them and got some grant funding back in 2014, 2015 to do some streets in Somerville. And people like them and eventually it kind of doubled every year. So the first year we had like $5,000 of grants, the second year 10, the third 20. Right now we have probably six people doing three full-time equivalent positions all year long. And we've expanded from street painting into street painting and traffic calming. Involves, you know, the neighbors all getting out and painting some beautiful art in the street, but also involves putting flex posts in the street to really narrow the travel lanes. Mm -hmm. And so what was just a terrible street to really cross, and people were telling stories of cars going by so fast and in such a rush to get through their neighborhood that they couldn't cross the street. You know, there was no crosswalk, and the the crossing distance was too large. People weren't slowing down. A lot of dangerous factors. Yeah, there. it was just awful for them. So after, you know, you go from crossing, I don't know, 40 feet of pavement to crossing 11 feet, and the cars are going so slow they can actually see you and make eye contact and let you cross the street. So we're doing a lot of work like that, which is community engagement. We usually hire local artists, and mm. the community will pick a theme so, you know, on one street it was birds, and an artist came up with a bird theme for the street, and then the residents all came out and painted the street. The, the artist came out and laid it out in a paint-by-numbers fashion, mm -hmm. and then they painted it all. On a, on a, you know, it was a party with food and music, and 
we've replicated that. We get some great stories of couples meeting, of people finding apartments, of uh, couples breaking up. No, just kidding. <laughs> um, they needed to break get up. Get everything, the whole community experience. <laughs> exactly. A lot of humanity happens, and uh, people come out of these design workshops really knowing their neighbors. Sometimes longtime neighbors meet other people who are also longtime neighbors, but they've just never connected, you know, in the years that they've lived there. Yeah. So and that adds into community resilience as well. I'm in Kate Davies, community resilience in the age of an- Anthropocene. Um, and we talk a lot about community resilience and having these events that bring people out and bring them together to, you know, create that camaraderie and knowledge of your neighbors. And Yeah, that's great. Yeah, sense of community and sense of place. Yeah, yeah, I think it's really important. And I think getting people to think about what would the most amazing neighborhood be? You know, what what would we have here? And sometimes it's really expensive and bold. Like, we want to create an amazing fountain with, you know, cobblestones and trees. And that's really expensive. Plus, you know, getting city buy-in for that is much harder and might take years. So we'll take those themes and put them on the ground as quickly as we can, kind of staking the space in the street. That kind of reminds me of something John Witten said to me in like my first week here at UEP. He said, when you are thinking about planning, what is your favorite street in your hometown? And I thought that was a very interesting question because in transportation, a lot of the complaints are speeding. Like cars are going too fast on the roads and aren't allowing for pedestrians or bicyclists to have space in the streets. Um, And so, of course, like without me thinking like this is the way he was framing it, I was like, oh, my favorite street is this narrow, windy road in the middle of the state forest that there's a bike lane that's over on the side. And then Mm -hmm. just like a one way where you have to go like 15, 20 miles an hour at a safe speed. And then he went into this whole spiel about how that's how safe streets should be formatted. Yeah. I guess the question is, is would that street be legal today if it was built from scratch or, you know, and sometimes Most it likely is. not. It was sometimes probably too narrow. Is, but, <laughs> but often, you know, they, you know, want streets to be wide because they're thinking we need a place for snow storage. Well, maybe you do, but maybe snow could be on grass and not on, you know, pavement. So, so there's just a lot of creative thinking. And I think we're entering a new age now. So it's really exciting time to be in this space because virtually every month there's something new coming out that is semi or completely head exploding in terms of what people are doing now. Yeah, new technologies definitely are like best practices are changing literally every day. Yeah. Like it's hard to keep up. Yeah. I was just reading the Globe yesterday and I'll talk about this in class for a bit, but post pandemic Cambridge's work at home rate as a portion of all working is 41%. Wow. I know. That's wow. just insane. You oh, know, my God. Granted, That's like almost half the population. I know. So granted, it's like an intellectual community, but they yeah. weren't number one in the country. They're actually like 14 cities ahead of them. And wow. so just the fact that, you know, before the pandemic, could we have ever imagined a world where 41% of any city would ever work at home. Yeah, I don't think anybody would. would have ever fathomed that. Yeah. And now it's just a norm. Yeah, but we didn't have the data until this ACS, American Community Survey data, came out. And so now, yeah, you know, we're now like, that I oh, think wow. about it. Yeah. Well, like the majority of the people I graduated undergrad with, they're working from home. 
Like I see the, like all on their Instagram stories and everything. <laughs> They're like working from home, their laptop with like their favorite TV show on in the background. And what percentage of those folks, I think, want to keep that and not go back? Because that's a big question. Yeah. And I think hybrid is also another um, mm-hmm. like possibility of people being for and against. I mean, I know mm-hmm. that people want to spend half their time in the office because that's definitely like a place to sit down and focus on what you're doing, but then right. also not being obligated to go in every single day. Yeah. And for some people, it's a social scene as well. So you maybe have kids and you yeah. maybe see other parents and kids, but you don't get to see anyone that's not around a kid. And so it's nice to actually get into an office where you can have another focus for a few hours. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so what is one thing that are you that you are most excited for for this semester? Wow. Well, it's always exciting to see students' projects at the end of the semester, and we haven't actually fleshed those out. I think people have them in their heads today, hopefully, because that's something that comes up in today's class is, what are your projects for the semester? Um, So I feel professionally teaching is really helpful because I'm forced to keep up with things that otherwise I may not. You know, I'm in the space of street design, meets parking management, meets public art. But this forces me to keep my eyes on the pulse of things that maybe are more peripheral, you know, like automated vehicles and how they might deal with pedestrians and cyclists. And I think it's, there's just really interesting ethical questions with self-driving cars, you know, that may not be answered this semester, but are (laughs) are good to ponder. Um, I... This isn't really about the class, but there are so many infrastructure projects that are coming online during the semester that are going to be really interesting to see. A, a square in Cambridge called Inman Square, which is uh, being really radically redesigned for bicycles and pedestrians and to make it easier to cross and safely cross and walk through this major square is going to be amazing. There's also a path near Tufts that will take you right into Boston. It's going to be ready to go just about by the end of the year. Super Uh, exciting. Yeah. Easier ways to get downtown. And then we're seeing a lot of quick build things that are supposed to be done, like the Holland Street project is supposed to be done by the end of the year. Hopefully. Fingers crossed. (laughs) (laughs) So there, there are a lot of projects that are really exciting. This year will be the second year I've done a bike tour, which we're doing next week. That's That'll a lot be of fun. fun. I hope we we get good weather for I that. Know, that is a key thing. It is easier to get good weather for a bike tour in the fall than the spring. So in the spring, I had to save the tour until almost last class just to, it's just dark, you know, like the solstice is December. So we start the class at like you know, in the dark, and then it's still really cold until April here, and then we've got a month left, whereas here, it'll be like today, hopefully. We have a beautiful day out there today. Well, thank you for coming and chatting with me today about transportation planning and your experience here at UEP. Thank you.